Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True. And I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today is a special rebroadcast of a special conversation that I had over two decades ago with Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh, to me, is like a living Buddha. He embodies the teachings of the Buddha with every step. He's the author of over a hundred books and numerous Sounds True learning programs, a teacher, a poet, and an activist. With Sounds True, Thich Nhat Hanh has also created a special online course called Body and Mind Are One, an online training course in mindfulness. And you can visit SoundsTrue.com for more information about this course. Body and Mind Are One. When I interviewed Thich Nhat Hanh, it was when he was visiting the United States along with a group of monks and nuns from Plum Village, and we met in Southern California and sat under a beautiful, large willow tree for this conversation. I had the honor of talking to him about his experience as a young monk, the engaged Buddhist movement, and the core of the Buddhist teachings, liberation through mindfulness. I hope you enjoy. Tai, I wonder if you can start by going back in your life and talking to me about why you decided to become a monk when you were a child, how old you were, and what was that inspiration? I was nine when I uh, saw a picture of the Buddha in the cover of a Buddhist magazine. I saw the Buddha sitting on the grass like we do now, very peaceful, very solid. And I just wanted uh, to be like him, someone like him, with uh, some solidity and peace. Because I saw around me people were not very uh, happy, very uh, relaxed. And uh, it was not a decision, it was uh, a kind of desire. And then um, that seed of desire was in me, very clear, very strong. And it was uh, watered by other events, like um, 
when I was uh, 12, we uh, climbed uh, together as a school to a mountain in the northern part of Vietnam uh, for a picnic. I was uh, excited because I knew that there was a hermit living in the mountain. And a hermit is someone who uh, practices in order to uh, become uh, like a Buddha. So I was very excited about uh, meeting him. And uh, when I uh, arrived at the mountain, um, the hermit was not there. I was uh, disappointed. But I uh, discovered a well uh, on the mountain where I drank um, very um, refreshing water. And I was uh, completely satisfied uh, because of that uh, water. And I thought uh, that it was the hermit who uh, transformed, who had transformed himself into a well so that I can have a, I can have a private um, audience with him. And the fact that I uh, drank some of this water was very uh, important to me. Because uh, during the time of drinking, I had the idea that uh, that must be the best water in the world. And if I think um, now uh, more deeply, I, I would say that um, the source of uh, solidity, the source of uh, peace and freedom must be um, symbolized by that kind of water. And Although I did not uh, meet the hermit in person, but I had the impression that uh, my desire to meet the hermit was uh, fulfilled. And it watered more the seed of the desire in me to become a monk. And at the age of 16, uh, I was able to realize my dream to become a novice monk. And I had a very um, happy uh, uh, time being a novice. I think it's very important to have, uh, to be happy during the time you are a novice. If you can spend three or four years uh, happily as a novice, you will succeed in your life as a monk or as a nun. Uh, I always tell my students uh, about this. I was uh, motivated by the very, in the very beginning, to practice so that I have uh, peace and joy and solidity in order to help other people. So Buddhism was already engaged Buddhism in that time. You practice uh, not only for yourself, but you practice for people around you as well. So um, when I grew up as a monk, graduated from the Buddhist Institute, the war was, uh, has become uh, intense. And the suffering around us told us to practice uh, in such a way that you can relieve the suffering around you. And that is why uh, Buddhism was um, invited to, uh, to answer the real questions of the time. And uh, in that uh, circumstance, uh, what we call engaged Buddhism was born. Engaged Buddhism is the kind of Buddhism that people need in order to suffer less, in order to uh, be more 
solid, uh, more brave in uh, confronting the difficulties of life. And uh, what I learned in the Buddhist sutras, I always um, look deeply in order to find how the practice could help many people at the same time. And that is why, uh, as a, a teacher in, at the Buddhist Institute, I always uh, offer engaged Buddhism to my students. I have helped train many generations of monks and nuns uh, before I uh, left the country to speak for the end of the war in Vietnam. And since I was not allowed to go home after having uh, done so, I began to share the teaching with uh, friends in the West. And I continue to share the practice, uh, the kind of practice that can help people to stop the suffering and to restore uh, peace and solidity and loving kindness in them. And uh, I always tell people that they have to look deeply into the nature of your suffering in order to understand it. People should not try to run away from their suffering. In fact, they have to hold the suffering, look deeply into it, because that is the only way to discover the true nature of your suffering. And when you have seen the true nature of your suffering, you have a chance to see the way out of uh, suffering. And that is why suffering is considered in Buddhism as a holy truth, because a, a truth that can uh, heal. Looking into the suffering, you see the source uh, of uh, suffering, the making of the suffering. And as you understand the making of suffering, you, uh, you can see that this suffering can be stopped, can be removed. And there must be a way to remove to transform the suffering, that is the fourth uh, truth called uh, Magga, the way out of suffering. And the way out of suffering must be found within suffering itself. Therefore, if you try to throw away your suffering, you have no chance to see the way out. Now you mentioned, Thai, engaged Buddhism, and I'm wondering if you can explain that a little more. Engaged Buddhism uh, is just Buddhism, because uh, Buddhism should be practiced where you are. You don't need to be um, a monk to practice Buddhism. You can practice as a lay person. Uh, you don't have to go to a retreat in order to practice Buddhism. You can uh, live your daily life, and you practice uh, in your daily life. You can uh, practice uh, meditation while you drive uh, your car when you fix uh, your breakfast, when you take care of uh, your baby, when you uh, walk, when you sit, uh, when you breathe. And um, there are ways to integrate the practice uh, in your daily life. And Buddhism uh, must be dealing with the here and the now, your existing suffering. Buddhism is not to offer you a relief uh, in the future, uh, after you, uh, you die. Uh, one of the characteristics of uh, Buddhism is sanditika, it means uh, dealing with uh, the here and the now. In the here and the now, 
you have problems, and Buddhism addresses directly these problems. In the here and the now, there are wonders of life that are available. Buddhism helps you to get in touch with these wonders of life within you and around you, for you to be able to nourish uh, yourself and to heal yourself, to refresh yourself. So that is the first uh, characteristic of uh, Buddhism, uh, Sanditika, dealing with the present moment. The second uh, characteristic of Buddhism is um, Akalika. It means uh, it is not a matter of time. You don't have to practice uh, eight years in order to begin to see the fruit of your practice. As soon as you begin the practice, you can notice already a change within you, a transformation within you. Like um, when you learn about um, walking meditation, uh, mindful breathing, or mindful drinking. If you apply the techniques of uh, walking, or breathing, or drinking right away, you see that uh, you live uh, more deeply that moment of your practice. You get more joy, more peace, and you are able to recognize uh, the positive and the negative aspects uh, of the present moment. For the positive aspect um, that reveal itself uh, in the present moment, you smile to it, you help it to grow, so you get happier. For the um, negative aspect of the present moment, uh, you know how to embrace it, to uh, accept it, in order for it to have a chance to be transformed. And that is why Buddhism is said to be not a matter of time, akalika, uh, the moment when you uh, embrace the practice and apply it to your daily life, you can already begin to experiment uh, the peace, the joy, and the transformation. And the third element of um, characteristic of the Dharma is that uh, anyone can come and see and try by himself or herself. You don't need the mediation of uh, a priest, uh, a monk, or anything. Uh, that is called Ehipasika. Ehipasika means uh, inviting the people to come and try by himself or herself. So, um, both uh, in Theravada tradition and in the Mahayana tradition, these uh, three characteristics of the Dharma uh, are taught. And if you look into these uh, characteristics, you see that Buddhism is uh, engaged in the very beginning. And you can practice as a monk, you can practice as a lay person, you can practice uh, as a businessman, uh, an artist. Uh, you can always uh, incorporate uh, the practice into your daily life. That is what we call engaged Buddhism. In Vietnam, during the war, there was a lot of destruction. And there were people who did not practice correctly. They thought that the practice must be only in the temple. But when the bombs were falling and people are dying outside, and the, the war created orphans and um, disabled people, uh, wounded people, you cannot ignore the fact. Because uh, to meditate means to be aware of what is going on. And if you're aware of uh, the tragedy, that is going on, you are not really meditating, you are running from reality. That is why we were meditating in our meditation hall, and we were aware of the suffering going on. That is why we wanted to practice in such a way that we, uh, we can be of help at the same time. 
So we brought the meditation out of the meditation hall. We try to uh, preserve our meditation while helping people, the wounded, the uh, refugees, the dying people. And uh, we learn that it is still possible uh, while you help these people, while you resettle refugees, while you care for the wounded uh, war victims, you can still uh, maintain your practice of mindful breathing, mindful uh, walking, and uh, you find out that if you don't practice while helping people, you will burn up very quickly. That is why the spiritual dimension should be equal to the dimension of action. If you lack uh, the spiritual dimension in your life as a social activist, you will give up after some time of uh, a service. And that we call engaged Buddhism, the kind of Buddhism you practice while you live your normal life and you, um, uh, you are able to help uh, and serve people. And that is why when um, we offer the practice to the West, we are aware that there are um, peace activists that need to be helped in uh, the practice. There are uh, doctors, nurses, and other helping uh, professionals uh, that should be helped. Uh, there are war veterans that should be helped. And uh, that is why we have offered uh, special retreats for these people, helping professionals, for instance. They have a very busy life. And if uh, they don't practice to nourish themselves, to restore their peace and their solidity, uh, they will lose themselves after a number of years. They will burn up. That is why it's so essential for social activists, for peace uh, workers, for helping professionals uh, to learn the practice, to protect themselves, to nourish themselves, uh, not only for themselves, but for the sake of the people they try to to help, that is um, engaged Buddhism. In fact, uh, it is silly to describe uh, Buddhism as engaged, but if it is not engaged, it's not true Buddhism. And still, because I've never really been clear about this, the reason that you were exiled during the war, how come? Um, in 1966, uh, the suffering of the war was so intense that we felt that we need someone over here, outside of Vietnam, to speak for the majority who suffer directly under the bombs. The warring parties, they did not um, do the job. They only claimed for a total victory. They never spoke of reconciliation, ending the war. They only spoke about a total victory, both the communist and the anti-communist. And yet uh, the majority of us caught in the war, we did not care for a total victory. We very much care for the end of the killing and the reconciliation between brothers. Because although Americans were involved in the war, uh, Vietnamese were killing each other as well. That is why we did not want that to happen. And uh, you want to stop the war as soon as possible. You wanted uh, people to sit down and um, negotiate to end the war. You have to speak of bloodshed, of the brotherhood of reconciliation. 
but since um, the governments, uh, the warring parties did not want to talk uh, like that, we had to, uh, to do it by ourselves. Sometimes we had to burn ourselves alive in order to get the message across. And many people thought that that was a um, kind of political action, but it was not really. It was uh, an attempt to speak for the majority who want an end to the war, who wanted uh, reconciliation. And uh, I accepted an invitation from uh, Cornell University to deliver a series of talks on Buddhism and the situation uh, in Southeast Asia. And uh, my friends in Vietnam uh, urged me to stay on for some time, something like uh, two months and three months, and speak uh, intensively about the situation in Vietnam in order to inform uh, the world of the things they were not um, able to, to hear. And I stayed on after Cornell. I toured America to speak to the uh, religious, uh, academic, and humanitarian uh, uh, communities. And after that, I went to Australia, Asia, Europe uh, to do the same. And because I was speaking about uh, ending the war, uh, reconciliation, the warring parties did not want me to go home. You say, Tai, that sitting meditation is not enough, is not sufficient to transform someone's life. And I think that many uh, people who practice meditation in the West, they have their sitting practice, then they go about their life. And I'm curious why you say that it is not sufficient and what you mean by transforming one's life. Mm, sitting meditation is uh, just one part of uh, meditation. Uh, if you uh, listen to uh, the teaching of the Buddha, for instance, in the Sutra on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, you see that the practice should be carried on, not only in the sitting position, but also on the lying position, walking meditation, standing position. And uh, when you do things like uh, holding your back in ball, uh, putting on your dress, uh, washing your feet, uh, meditation would, should go on. If you uh, practice only sitting meditation, you might get uh, some transformation, but not enough in order to change your life completely. Because uh, in you there is uh, a very strong uh, energy that is always there to push you to do things that will make you suffer. And uh, if you don't practice um, being mindful the whole day, and then every time that kind of uh, energy uh, manifests itself, you will not be able to recognize it, and you will allow it to push you to say things and to do things that will create damage and destruction in your relationship and so on. There are many of us who are aware that there are things uh, they don't want to say, they don't want to do. They are intelligent enough, more than enough, to know that if they say that, if they said that, if they did that, they will uh, destroy their relationship, their happiness. And yet when the time comes, the energy is so strong, and finally they, they did it, finally they said it, in order for them to regret later on, and that repeats uh, itself uh, uh, a lot of times. 
That means uh, our habit energy is very strong. It might have been handed down to us by several generations of ancestors. So that is why in order to be able to deal with the habit energy and not to suppress it, we have to be mindful all day long. Sitting, walking, uh, standing, doing things, we have to follow our breathing in order to, uh, to keep our mindfulness alive. And if all habit energy begins to show its head, and then we'll be able to know. Uh, we only need to breathe in, to breathe out mindfully, and to say, Hello, my all habit energy, I know you are there, I will take good care of you. That is enough in order to keep your habit energy not exactly in control, but to, uh, to embrace it and not to let it lead the way because uh, in you there is the energy of habit energy but there is something else that is uh, the energy of mindfulness. The energy of mindfulness is holding tenderly the habit energy and take care of it like a big sister taking care of the younger sister and then you'll be safe. And after uh, every time your habit energy is recognized and embraced tenderly like that, it will lose some of its strength and the next time when it appears, it will be a little bit uh, weaker. And if you practice like that for a certain time, you'll be able to reduce that energy to a minimum. And uh, you will no longer feel that it is stronger than, than you anymore. Do you think it's fair to say that if you live every moment in the present moment, that that is a definition of enlightenment? I mean, traditionally, there's some idea in Buddhism that we practice so that we can eventually become liberated. So I'm curious what your definition of liberation or enlightenment is. Our happiness, uh, our peace, depends very much on our freedom. Because if we are not free from our sorrow, our afflictions, and then there will be no stability, uh, no peace, uh, no joy, no happiness. And um, the only way for us to deal with our afflictions, to free ourselves from our afflictions, is to go back to the present moment. Because uh, the present moment is uh, the only moment uh, when we can uh, take hold of these uh, blocks of pains we can uh, do something in order to transform them. If you get lost in the past, how can you transform uh, the existing pain in you? If you uh, get lost in the future, how can you take hold of your pain and transform it? That is why you have to go back to the here and the now in order to touch your pain, your sorrow, for the sake of transforming it. So mindfulness is to go back to the here and the now and take care of the real thing life, because life is available only in the here and the now. And if you are able to establish yourself in the here and the now, body and, and mind united, you'll be able to um, take care of the sorrow, of the pain. You are able to look deeply into their nature. You are able to understand the nature of your suffering and your pain, 
and out of that understanding and insight, you can liberate yourself from these uh, blocks of pain and sorrow, and you realize uh, freedom. Uh, that is um, emancipation, uh, freedom uh, from your own afflictions. And that freedom is essential to your real peace and happiness. The present moment. In the beginning, you might think that the present moment uh, is not the past, is not the future. But as you continue to look deeply into the present moment, you see that the present moment uh, contains the past and contains the future. And uh, touching the present moment, you touch the past, you touch the future, and you can uh, even uh, heal the past and uh, uh, create the future uh, while you dwell um, firmly in the present moment. The Buddha said that uh, your appointment with life is in the present moment. And therefore, uh, everything you practice whether it is uh, mindful breathing, mindful walking, mindful uh, doing things, it's just to go back to the present moment, to become uh, truly alive, and to be able to take care of what is there, because life uh, is available only in that present moment. Mm, So if uh, you understand uh, the expression present moment uh, in that way, you wouldn't say that, well, uh, why do I have to refrain from uh, thinking about the uh, past or thinking about future? Do I have the right to make plans for the future? Yes, you do. But uh, you can establish yourself firmly in the present moment uh, while uh, planning for the future. Because that is the only effective way uh, of planning for the future. If you lose yourself in the fear, in the worries, you cannot plan for your future. That is why to worry about your future, to be afraid of your future, is not um, planning for your future. Planning for, for your future is to be there in the present moment with your, all your lucidity. That is why uh, touching the present moment is at the same time touching the past and touching the future. It does not mean losing yourself in the past or in the future. One of the things that has always impressed me the most about your teaching is that it seems to me that you have examined very deeply the social problems of our world. And what I'm curious about is if you look underneath all of the manifestations, all of the suffering in our world, whether it's starvation, child abuse, ecological disaster, we know the long list of problems. Underneath that, do you see the root cause? What do you see? There is uh, the collective, uh, collective consciousness and the individual consciousness. Our individual consciousness is made of uh, our collective consciousness and our collective consciousness is made of our individual consciousness. Uh, we reflect uh, everything and everything reflects us. And uh, the practice begins with yourself. Awareness, enlightenment, mindfulness within yourself. And you offer first of all a light from within. 
that light uh, once uh, lit up will show you two things what is wrong in you what is uh, not wrong in you what is not wrong you try to uh, maintain and develop what is wrong you try to transform and why practicing that you realize that you have the capacity of seeing what is wrong around you and what is not wrong around you so you see that uh, you are connected to your society and what you are doing for yourself you are doing it for your society also when you refrain from using uh, drugs and intoxicants you do not do it only to protect uh, yourself you do it for your children for your friends for society at the same time because if you don't do it how you can you expect other people to do it for you therefore you practice for all of us and uh, your practice has already uh, had an impact on me and on other people you begin you have already begun to change the world by lighting up the, the lamp of mindfulness in you and uh, recognize what is um, positive in you to be nourished and negative in you to be transformed you have begun your social action uh, from yourself and uh, when i see you doing like that i receive your light i know that in order to be worth of you i have to do the same i have to light up the the candle in me I have to recognize the positive and the negative in me. I have to take care of both aspects. And we form a kind of Sangha of two people. And when the third person comes in, they go struck by our light, our awareness, our practice. And uh, they join our Sangha. We have three persons. And from that base, we advance and we create uh, the collective uh, awareness the collective uh, environment and if you happen to be a uh, movie uh, uh, maker uh, i happen to be a writer and then we use our talent in order to help uh, create uh, that kind of collective awareness that is enlightenment people have to be enlightened on their own situation and that is why um, enlightenment is so crucial for our survival, for our happiness. In our society, we have witnessed to uh, several forms of enlightenment. Maybe we don't call it them enlightenment, but they are real enlightenment. Like uh, in North America, you uh, are aware already that smoking hazardous to your health and you make an inscription on every um, uh, package of cigarette. Be aware, smoking might be dangerous. And that is a form of enlightenment. And uh, 10 years ago, we did not dream of having non-smoking flights to Europe, to Asia, but now uh, we have uh, non-smoking flights uh, to Europe and to Asia. And that is, uh, that is enlightenment. We awake to the real situation and um, we make our enlightenment uh, grow because there were companies who did not want to create a non-smoking uh, flight 
but because uh, people are awakening. So they appreciate the non-smoking flight. That is why these companies, they, they have to create a non-smoking flight also. And suppose you, um, uh, you are more aware on what you are eating. Uh, you don't want a lot of uh, fat, of cholesterols, and uh, because you want to consume uh, less cholesterol, you want to protect your body, and uh, the degree of enlightenment is important. That is why uh, manufacturers of food, they have to uh, comply with your wish, and they have to join in the work of enlightenment. And if you are a cineast, uh, a teacher, a writer, an artist, uh, you can always bring uh, your talent into helping our enlightenment to grow. And that is the hope for our world. Meditation is not the business of monks and nuns alone. Meditation is the business of every one of us, whether we are politicians, economists, or teacher. We have to get enlightened. We have to wake up to the situation of our world. Uh, if uh, we don't want uh, um, um, the destruction of our world, if we want uh, the world to survive, uh, and then um, we have to speed up that kind of awakening, of enlightenment, uh, otherwise it would be too late. That is why no one can be indifferent about enlightenment or awakening. The quicker we wake up, uh, uh, the better the chance uh, we have for our children and their children. Often it seems that even with all of our best efforts, the world is still going down the tubes. And I wonder if that ever depresses you or if you feel that it's uh, kind of a useless effort in a way because people have been trying for so long and the world is not really improving in many ways. Uh, despair is the word, uh, and we should uh, do everything in order to prevent despair from uh, overwhelming us. During the war, there was very difficult moments. It looks, it sounds like the war was going forever, wouldn't have a chance to stop it. So I was uh, in the midst of the war, and several times uh, young people they came to me and asked, Thai, do you think that uh, the war will have a chance to end tomorrow or after tomorrow? It was very hard for me because I did not see any chance for the war to stop very quickly. And yet, I have to give an answer. I have to breathe in and breathe out very deeply and sometimes very long before I say something. I said, my dear students, my dear friends, the Buddha said that everything is impermanent. It cannot last forever, a war. Every war has, uh, in the past has been ended. So this war also, this war has to follow the law of impermanence. Let us do uh, whatever we can do in order to speed up its uh, end and not to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by despair. I think the same way I would like to follow today. We have to pay attention to what is not going wrong. And we have to do whatever we can do today in order to help change the world and not to let ourselves be um, caught in that kind of uh, worry and despair. If uh, there are trees that are dying in your garden, you must be aware. 
so that you can do something to save these trees. But at the same time, you have to pay attention to the trees that are not dying. They are still robust. They are still vigorous. And you should not allow yourself to be caught in despair when your garden still has uh, many beautiful trees. So embrace uh, the beautiful trees. Enjoy them so that you can get nourished and not to let uh, the sight of a few trees dying to overwhelm you and to make you uh, hopeless. That is uh, my advice to uh, my students. We have to ask ourselves whether today, this morning, we can do something. And this afternoon, we can do something. And not just sit there and ask the question whether we have a future or not. Whether we have a future or not, it depends on our way of being this morning, on uh, our way of being this afternoon, on whether we can do uh, little things in the morning and little things in the afternoon. During this recent visit to America, you have uh, uttered a very controversial statement that has shocked some members of the audience. You've been talking about God as an all-inclusive idea. And first of all, I'm curious when you use the word God what you mean by it. But you have said a couple times in public that God is a lesbian. And this has sent some reactions through the audience. And I wanted to ask you what you mean by that and why you feel that's an important thing to say. God is uh, beyond religion. Religions can get into conflict with each other, but God is uh, the ultimate reality that got uh, beyond religion. To me, God uh, is the ground of our being. It is like uh, the water is the substance of all the waves. Uh, we suffer because uh, we are caught uh, in the forms, in the perceptions of what we are. If we uh, are able to penetrate deep into our true nature, namely God, we will suffer much less and we will stop suffering. There is a lot of wrong perceptions and discriminations that we have created uh, by ourselves. And by creating wrong perceptions and discrimination, we make ourselves suffer and we make people around us suffer. And the key for liberation is to um, overcome these uh, perceptions, these kind of uh, discriminations. And one of the best ways is to touch uh, our own uh, foundation of being, namely God. In Buddhism, we would call it uh, nirvana. We say that uh, if you look uh, artificially, you see that uh, things are born and die, things are different from each other, and things exist outside of each other. But if you are able to practice uh, deep looking, you find that things uh, contain each other, that things are free from birth and death, from all ideas and discriminations, and uh, you get uh, the kind of insight of wisdom called a non-discriminative uh, wisdom. And you don't discriminate anymore. You are no longer afraid anymore. And that is why uh, if a rose touch herself deeply, a rose would touch her true being, God. 
and a rose will find that God is a rose. If a rabbit is able to touch uh, herself deeply, her ground of being deeply, and the rabbit will lose all her fear and her depression and all her complex, because realize that uh, God is a rabbit. The blue sky, if she touches herself uh, very deeply, she would know and would say that uh, God is the blue sky. The mountain also. If the mountains uh, become itself and touches uh, nature deeply, the mountain will realize that God is a mountain. So uh, the African uh, will realize that God is an African. And a child uh, would be able to see that God is a child. A woman would know that God is a woman. And that is uh, in that context that I said, uh, God is a lesbian. Why not? He must be a lesbian in order for you to have a chance to uh, liberate yourself, to get to the highest understanding, because you and him, you are one. You've been listening to a special broadcast of Insights at the Edge with Thich Nhat Hanh. If you're interested in taking the online course, Body and Mind Are One, please visit SoundsTrue.com. In this course, you'll receive over seven hours of teachings along with guided audio meditations. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at SoundsTrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested... Hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com. Waking up the world.